take our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 19 tonight, Matthew chapter number 19, and uh, we're picking back up with um, our series on Sunday nights on what does the Bible say about, and the last Sunday night I dealt with what does the Bible say about adultery. I told you that we were going to deal with a couple of those type of sins uh, here in the next few weeks, and uh, these are not comfortable at all. Matter of fact, today's uh, topic uh, is very uncomfortable. One man said it might be the king of all uncomfortable topics because this is a, uh, a subject that uh, many have been affected by. It's a very personal thing. Um, it, and then uh, there are strong opinions on every side of this issue and maybe even inside of our church. And uh, I'm probably not going to make anybody happy, but that's not my aim tonight. But I also don't aim to make you mad. I'm not trying to make nobody mad or happy. I just really want to give what does the Bible say. And so Matthew chapter number 9 and if you will, stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll pray. We'll read it, we'll pray, and then we'll let you be seated, and we'll try to bring the message from the Word of God. Matthew chapter 19, and verse number 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, notice this, tempting him. Here they are again, that's what they're trying to do, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Let's pray. Father, Father, we love you because you first loved us, and we're thankful for a Bible. And Lord, I have read your word in the hearing tonight. And Lord, I pray you bless the reading of your word. And now I'm going to try to preach your word. I pray, God, you'd give me unction and anointing. God, help me be clear in my speech, Lord. Help me to not say anything that would not be lined up with the, the book that I hold in my hand. And Lord, Help me, Lord God, to say it in the right spirit, the right manner. I pray, God, you'd help all of us in this room tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing 
Well, the Word of God, Jesus is getting near to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to go to the cross for our sins. And his enemy is increasing their attack on him. Listen, they hate him. And they are growing bolder and growing more nasty in their attempts to discredit him and to try to make him look bad in front of the eye, in the eyes of the people, but also to discredit him in front of the ruling authorities. And they are here in this text. It tells right, right in verse 3 what they're there to do. They came unto him tempting him. They've already tried to undermine his ministry on several occasions before this point, and here in these boys, they are trying to ruin the ministry of the Lord Jesus. They come to him, and they are seeking his opinion on one of the most hotly debated issues of that day. And they, I would say it's a very debated, debated issue of our day as well. They approach him on the hot-button issue of divorce. Now listen, they don't care about the Lord's opinion here. They're just trying to catch him in a trap. That's all they're trying to do. Now, it may seem strange to us, but listen, in this day that, that Jesus is living in, divorce was more rampant then in that society than it is even in our day. And you think, man, it couldn't be. We live, we're living in the worst days there could ever be. Well, that's not true. But in the case of divorce, it's definitely not true. Some historians of that time have noted that some Roman men could have up to 15 to 20 wives in his lifetime. Now, I don't mean like in the old economy, and this ain't even right either. Solomon and them wasn't right having more than one wife at one time. We're past that. I'm talking about 15 to 20 wives at separate times, meaning to have 15 to 20 divorces. A Roman man, I'm thinking, how crazy can a dude be? I'm thinking, what, at what number does the women not get smart? Right? Can, I, can we get light in the mood a little bit? What, at what point, what number do you got to be to figure out, you ain't going to change this dude, right? What number do you have to be to think, you know what, he's had a bunch of them, I probably ain't going to help him out none. I'm just a number. But, but, but nonetheless, now divorce rates among Jewish people in that day were not like that, but it was still a real problem in that society. Now it's a, it's a problem in our society today. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that divorce is a problem in our society as well? Over one million divorces happen in America every year. One million. And the, and the tragedy, the tragedy that comes out of these divorces are really immeasurable. We, we really can't measure what actually takes place out of it. You think about it this way, if there are a million divorces, if, if, a, if a million marriages end in divorce this year, there's at least two million adults affected, right? And more than likely, those adults had some children maybe, and so there's several million, million children affected by that. Then you add the devastation that that divorce brings to the extended families of those folks. And the number impacted by divorce really becomes 
pretty staggering. You think about that. Now, I believe this is true. Not one person involved in any area of a divorce comes out totally undamaged. And those of us that have lived through it, and I've not, and I've not been divorced, let me clear the air on that. I have never been, but I was raised in a divorced home. Those of us who've been affected and lived through it can, can testify of the harsh reality of divorce and the pain that it brings in a home. Now listen, here's the, here's the cold hard truth. Most families have been touched by divorce. 51% of marriages in America fail. 51%. And this is a little bit old stats. If 51% of marriages fail in America, then I think it would, be, it would stand to reason tonight that divorce is a reality in most families. Touched by it in some way. So I'm going to approach this subject tonight with fear. What I mean, respect. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to approach this with trembling because I realize tonight that every one of us have, in one way or another may have been affected by this and, and, and many of us know the pain, the shame, the turmoil it brings with it. So my job today, I'm not here to hurt nobody. My job is to preach what did Jesus say about this issue. And I want to do it in a loving way. As possible. Now, I, I know this, that in this room tonight are people with some strong opinions about divorce. And you may have strong opinions about people who've been through divorce. But my job tonight is not to preach the topic in a way that agrees with your beliefs. So if you're just wondering, I did not take a poll. I'm not taking a vote tonight. I'm not asking for your opinion. And watch this, I'm not giving you mine. You listening? Because as a kid from a divorced home, I got some strong opinions about it. Amen. I do. I hate how it made me feel. I hate what it done to my family. I hate what it has done to my family. I hate the effects today, today, there's been some stuff happened today in my family. I'm talking about literally today. I believe are aftermath of the divorce that my parents went through. Yeah, I mean, listen, it affects, it affects me. I'm not saying every day, but many days of my life it affects me. And so I'm not here, I'm not here to agree with your beliefs about this. I'm not here to agree with what you've been taught about this, unless you've been taught what the Bible says, okay? My duty is to preach to you and to teach to you what does the Bible say. As clear as possible. Now I know, I know tonight we're going to walk out of here and some of you are not going to agree with what I say. And that's fine. And you may find plenty to disagree with today, but here's, hear me out, hear me out. Please, my request is, don't think emotionally tonight. But let's think biblically. I believe God's got a perfect reason why it's just our folks tonight. God knows how to work all that stuff out. And so I don't want you to think emotionally, and, and, and I want you to 
Let the Holy Spirit of God work in your heart. Now here's the thing. We've got some people in here that are not married. And they need to know what the Bible says about divorce before they get rid. Because we're living in a generation that thinks nothing about divorce. They go into any kind of marriage, just marry any old thing that walks up because, hey, divorces only cost $400. But divorce costs a whole lot more than $400. And so, here's what I want to, I'm still in the introduction. Here, 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 listen out, listen out. When we approach a subject like this in the Bible, there are two tendencies with us. Number one, some people try to lower the biblical standard so people feel better about themselves and what they've been through. They want to demonstrate love and they want to see that no one gets hurt. That's, that's admirable, right? So number one, they, they lower the Bible standard out of sake of love. Don't want nobody hurt. Number and, and I'll say this, I find that a whole lot more than I find the next one, but there is the second part. The second approach could be this. There's some people that go beyond what the Bible teaches. See, they want to stop the tide of divorce. They want to stamp it out totally. And so they want to uphold the sanctity of marriage, and that's admirable, but that what they do is they, they take this, Role that ends up being ends up adding to the scriptures, and so you've got the crowd here that says, "Well, we love everybody, so we're going to lower the standard." And we got this this other crowd, so we love everybody too, so we don't want nobody's marriages to break up. So they raise the standard, and watch this: neither one of them's right. You take away from the Bible. For what it says in any matter whatsoever, just so people feel better about themselves, that's not loving at all. That's diabolical. That's what the devil does. And then when you add to what the Bible says, that's not spiritual. That's wicked. And so listen to me. Any human standard could be more lenient than the Bible or it could be stricter than the Bible. Well, listen to me. It won't be better than the Bible. Hear me out now. That's not just on the matter of divorce. Listen to me. Listen to me. Your standard may be more loose than the Bible. It may be tighter than the Bible. But it ain't better than the Bible. And so tonight my job is to tell you what the Bible says. Because this is a Bible believing church. And this church is going to practice what the Bible says says amen even when the preacher would like to hold a little tighter are you listening now even when the preacher might want to lean toward the aisle the aisle of adding two to make it stricter because I hate it we ain't going to go stricter and watch this even though there's people that might want us to go loose we ain't going to be stricter than the Bible we ain't going to be more loose than the Bible we're going to be balanced because the Bible says an unjust balance is an abomination. So we better be balanced about this thing. So real quickly, I'll be done. I want you to understand this. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Remarriage is not the unpardonable, unpardonable sin. Even when it is committed in the, in the worst circumstances, these things are not unpardonable. I, I got to say that up front because there are teachings like that out there. 
So there's four issues in this text that I want to address. And then there's two at the end I want to address outside of this. Issue. Number one, what's the context of what I've just read to you tonight? Verse number three. Verse number three, the Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Again, these Pharisees didn't come for information. They are trying to trip our Lord up. They are trying to lead him into a trap. You gotta understand something about these Pharisees. Their theology, their doctrine came more from rabbinical teachings and tradition than it did actually what the Bible said. God help us tonight. God help us tonight to lean on the scriptures more than we do tradition. Here's, here's the thing. There are some traditions that are good, and I believe the old adage, don't tear down a fence until you find out why it was put up. Okay, I, I believe that. But watch this now. Whose tradition do we go by? Whose do we go by? Your tradition is different than my tradition. I mean, there's, there's, there's little bitty things that, 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 that are different about yours than about mine. There's some big stuff that are different about your tradition than my tradition. So whose do we go by? That's why you throw tradition out. You go with truth. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And so, you understand, the Pharisees are not worried about what the Bible says. They're worried about what Rabbi so-and-so said. Matter of fact, Heliel was a rabbi who died 60 years before the birth of Christ and he twisted the Old Testament scriptures to allow divorce for every cause. What they were quoting in verse number 3 was not scripture. They were quoting Heliel, this rabbi. Look, look what he says. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? That's not Bible. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. But Heliel twisted it and said, for any cause of uncleanness, you can get rid of your wife. Now take your Bibles to Deuteronomy 24 with me tonight. Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 1. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 1. <clears throat> Again, I'm preaching what the Bible says, so it would be good for you to see what the Bible says. When a man, verse number 1, Deuteronomy 24, 1, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her in her hand and send her out of his house. Boy. We could take that and twist it around, couldn't we? And that's exactly what Hillel did. Hillel twisted this to make uncleanness mean anything that got on the nerves of her husband. He did. So, you burn the dinner, divorce. Spin, uh, watch this, there was some that would give a divorcement if you spun around and your ankle showed in public. But that that gets on my nerves, divorce. Oh, you let your hair down in public. Got on my, that gets on my nerves. Get out of here, divorce. Oh, you talk back to me, woman, divorce. 
Oh, you can't iron clothes right? Divorce. This house is still a mess? Divorce. You still talking? Divorce. <laughs> you still ain't done with that story yet? Divorce. Now listen, and, and, and this is laughable to us, but this was really happening. That's why some of these men had 15, 20 wives. Can, can I get an amen? And my wife's standing right there. I may have to sleep on the couch. Not, I won't never sleep on the couch unless she goes to the couch and then I go to the couch. I told you all the time. But watch this. But watch this. It don't take long to be married to somebody and figure out they get on your nerves. I get an amen from the husband and say, the wife, please. Everybody. I mean, my wife has to live with me. <laughs> and as perfect as I am, I get on her nerves every now and then. I'm sure in the 13 years, a couple times at least, I've got on her nerves. It don't take long, does it? But here's the thing. In that day, the woman couldn't do it. The man could only want, only want to do it. And watch this. I guarantee men were just like we are today. Come on now, ladies. Y'all give me a hearty amen. Us men are pretty irritable fellas, ain't we? Somebody said, grouchy old men. What about you grouchy young men? <laughs> so I'm trying to get brownie points from the wives here. Pastor Appreciation's coming up, and they got to cook for me. So y'all husband's going to have to. I'm scared. Hello, men are irritable, ain't we? And it don't take much to get on our nerves. So, get on my nerves. Hey, just having a bad day, the boss made you mad, but you ain't mad enough to talk to the boss about it, but you come on home and roost on your bedpost at night. Hello now, there's some quiet right there. You won't cock a doo to do down at the job, but you'll get up on the bed. But woo, 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 woo. Huh? God, woman! And that woman ain't done nothing. Come on now. I'm trying to make it lighthearted. It ain't, this ain't really easy message to preach. But here's the, the reality. That's exactly what was happening that day. Why? Why? Here's why. Because a, a preacher took the Bible, twisted it up a little bit, and made people believe that you can get a divorce for anything. I would imagine this preacher probably had some men come to him and say, you know what, that wife of mine, she gets on my ever-loving nerves. That house is always dirty. And Hoyle said, well, you know, you got dirt floors. Yeah, but it's extra dirt. I mean, that wife of mine, them kids of mine get on my stinking nerves. And watch this, that man would put that woman out for divorcement, and she couldn't go get a job. She couldn't go down to the welfare office and let, let daddy government take care of her and the kids, right? She couldn't, she couldn't go down and apply for food stamps. She couldn't get a program to help. And the people, that, there was no hope for this woman. And Hillel just twisted a little scripture. Why? Why? Because he was trying to please people. He's trying to be loose, more loose than the Bible. And so the context here, that's what they're bringing up. And so this is the culture. The marriage vows in those days meant nothing to these people. Again, they would swap out wives, I mean like a change of clothes, and they, could, they would try to justify it with Deuteronomy 24.1. And here's the thing. This is the, the nature of, of the Roman government. Herod. Y'all remember Herod? 
Y'all remember why John got his head cut off? Because John said, Herod, it ain't right for you to have your brother's wife. What happened? Herod just swapped wives. He just felt like, hey, I like your wife pretty in mine. I'm going to take my brother's wife. And listen, I, it's, I mean, this is the society that they were living in. Watch it. That's the society we're living in. We've heard of messed up stuff like that, even worse than that. And the marriage vows are not taken seriously anymore. The Pharisees knew Jesus' position on marriage. How did they know that? He had already preached it in the Sermon on the Mount. They knew what he believed. They knew what he, he taught about this. And so what they were trying to do is see if they could discredit him in front of the Jews because for 60 years, the tradition has been just get divorced whenever you want to. That was their tradition. 60 years. How many times have I heard, we've done that for 50 years around here. I don't mean it's right. I don't mean it's good. Well, me and my family for 60 years been divorcing women for anything. That's still wrong. <laughs> right? So discredit in front of the Jews. Watch this. Or, or, get, or get the Romans mad at him. See if the Romans will put him to death. Just like they did John. So they knew this was controversial. They knew this was uncomfortable. That's why they brought it up. This is the context of the verse. Now, what does Jesus do? I love the way Jesus does stuff. He goes straight to Scripture. He goes straight to the Bible. Look what it says. Why? Why does he go to the Bible? It's because that's our authority. You're back in Matthew chapter 19? I'm not. Let me get there. Matthew chapter 19. Verse number 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read he's taking them back to the Bible have sit up boy have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female he goes straight to the Bible see Jesus reveals what God's original design for marriage was revealed in, as revealed in creation. Here's what we learn in verses 4, 5, and 6 here. Marriage, number one, is between a man and a woman. I know June 26, 2015, I don't know if I'll ever forget that date. It was a Friday morning. We sit at Burning Bush Bible Camp about to have award ceremony, and all of a sudden we all got the news that the Supreme Court of the United States of America has changed the definition of marriage they may have in the law books of America, but they didn't change the definition of marriage according to God. Matter of fact, right now, many of you don't realize this, but they're trying to codify that now. It's still not been codified in law, and they're trying to do that now. That's what they're still trying to do right now. They're trying to codify that in law that a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman. But that ain't marriage. God, God said that first of all, first of all, have you not read, have you not read from you, he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And let's just say this, there's a statement here about what kind of people does he make. He makes males and females. There ain't no crossbreeds about this. You are born a male or you are born a female. 
You say, why in the world would you preach something like this? Because we got kids getting brainwashed by government schools, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Wicked, a bunch of other social media, and telling these kids you might be a woman trapped in a boy's body or a boy trapped in a girl's body. Let me just say this. I was a boy trapped in a girl's body for nine months, and then I was born. Amen. Listen, God made you a boy and he made them girls a girl and there ain't no in between. I just don't identify. Anybody, I'd ask you about your identification. You are either a boy or a girl. Them teachers down there will lie to you. Them YouTubers and TikTokers and I don't know what, all these influencers out there. I mean, they're They're crazy. And I just say this, a political candidate takes money from that crowd, I ain't got no confidence in them. Amen. Let me just say what I mean. Caitlyn Jenner is Bruce Jenner. That's a dude. And I don't care if he, if he, if he promotes a guy running for president, I'm probably going to not vote for him because of that. Amen. Bruce Jenner is a dude. And, he make, and he's an ugly girl anyway. Amen. Then, let me just get on this soapbox for a minute. Everybody's mad at Bud Light for putting that other, uh, other sodomite dude on their cans dressed up like a girl. What's in the world Christians got anything to do with beer anyway? What, what do you expect from a beer company? I mean, they're already going against the word of God about selling alcohol. Surely they'll go against the word of God and promote some kind of transgender, sodomite, queer bunch of stuff. Amen now. Don't get nervous now. It's preaching time. Hear me? God made male and female. And watch this. Marriage is only between male and female. You say, what if a sodomite couple walked up and you say, this is my husband, this is my wife. I say, well, it's good to meet your friend here. I'm not recognizing that. Well, you're a jerk. I'm not being a jerk about it, but I'm not recognizing that because God don't recognize it. So, so first of all, I've got hung up there. God says marriage is between a man and a woman. Watch this now. Watch this in verse number 5. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Here it is. Now marriage is between one man and one woman. You say, well, well twain means how many people? Two. So no. No, Mr. Mr. Joseph Smith, you can't have more than one wife. No, you can't have sister wives. Mr. Utah man, Mr. Mormon man. No, that ain't right. You can't have what we call polygamy. God in the garden established before, man, before he established a whole lot of stuff to establish, it'd be one man and one woman. One man and one woman. Twain are going to come together. Now, the Bible says that these twain are going to become one flesh. That's what the Bible says. The man and woman have made been made one flesh by God. And then, verse number of six, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. Here we are, the fourth thing we find here about in the creation is that God commands and expects that marriage to last forever. Okay? So we get to creation. 
And at creation, God established marriage between one man, one woman, for one lifetime. That's a simple way to put this. One man, one woman, for one lifetime. Malachi chapter number 2. I want you to take your Bible there. Malachi chapter number 2. God says, I want it to stay together. My plan is for it to stay together. My expectation is for it to stay together. In Malachi chapter 2 verse 16, God says this, The Lord, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. God says he hates divorce. And I believe this, I found that most people that have went through divorce hate it too. Amen. So the creation issue, number two. We, so we've seen the context, we've seen the creation. But now let's go back to Matthew chapter 19 and look at the commandment issue. It's amazing how these Pharisees word stuff. They always, always word stuff try to catch you. That's, that's the way the world will do you. The world will try to catch you up with something. And you've got to pay attention to the words they use. You've got to pay attention to what words this world is using because they'll try to trip you up. So verse number eight says this. He saith unto them, or no, no, verse 7, verse 7, verse 7. They say unto him, why did Moses then, notice this word, command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? Why did Moses command us to do this? Why did Moses give a commandment to do this? And Jesus just, just answers it right away, verse number 8. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, notice the word here, suffered you to put away your wives. Moses never commanded divorce. You're not going to find one place in your scriptures in the Old Testament or New where Moses commands divorce. But Moses suffered it. What does that word suffer mean? That means he allowed it. He says this, because your hearts were so hard against God's plan for your life, because your heart was so hard against God's original intent of marriage, Moses allowed you to get divorced. He didn't command it. Why? These people... Listen, here's what Jesus is going. He's going right to the heart of the matter. He's saying this. If, if the people, if Israel was, had soft hearts toward God, had they been tender towards God, there would have never been a desire to divorce. There's no command for divorce, but there is a command for forgiveness. That woman get on your nerves, forgive her. That man get on your nerves, forgive him. That woman do wrong, forgive her. That man do wrong, forgive her. Forgiveness, faithfulness, committed love, that is a must in a marriage. Marriage takes a whole lot of forgiveness. Takes a whole lot of faithfulness and a whole lot of committed love. And how does that come? How does those three things come? It has to be from a tender heart. 
reason you hold so many grudges is because you have a hard heart. I, don't, I, I mean, that means if you hold grudges against your spouse or anybody else because you're hard-hearted. That's the answer. That's, what G, that's, just, that's the answer. So how do I get rid of it? Get, get your heart soft. How do I do that? You get right with God. You realize God's forgiven you for way more than somebody's ever done to you. You've done more to God and against Him than anybody has ever done against you. That's why you're so bitter. That's why you're so, so mean-spirited, unforgiving. It's because you just got a hard heart. You need to get a soft heart. So he does, here's what Jesus does. He indicts these Pharisees. There's something wrong with your heart. You know what? Everything in your life stems out of your heart. You fall in love with Jesus, a lot of that other stuff is going to get fixed for you. Amen. You have a heart towards God, a lot of that other stuff is going to be fixed for you. You trying to fix all the outside stuff, the problem ain't the outside stuff, it's your heart. Your heart ain't right. That's what Jesus says about these Pharisees. And here's what Jesus says in verse number 9. This this thing you're calling putting away, this thing you're calling divorce and remarriage, he says this in verse number 9, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication, and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. He says this, this thing you're just calling putting away, God calls it adultery. Now there's a clause here. You better look at the clause, but look at what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. This every case in verse number, you know, verse number three, is it lawful man to put his way, his wife for every cause? He puts away that argument and he reaffirms what Moses says in Deuteronomy 24. When Deuteronomy 24 uses the word uncleanness, it's not talking about an unclean house. By the way, though, I think you ought to keep your house clean. I think I said something about that a couple Wednesday nights ago. And that goes for the wife and the husband and the kids that are old enough to pick after their self. You ought to keep a clean house. Goodness gracious. It's ungodly. I can't find a Bible verse that says cleanliness is next to godless. My mama made me think it was in there for a long time. I thought that was a Bible verse growing up. My mama come look at my room. She said, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. I thought it was a Bible verse. It ain't. But I say this, you ain't godly if you're dirty. God came and cleaned us up. Amen. So pick up your clothes, put them in the laundry basket. Put your dishes in the dishwasher. Clean up your mess. My wife's back here in there saying, amen, preacher, listen to your own preaching. <laughs> she got on to me last night. I have to preach to myself too, Okay. Well, all right, uncleanness, what does it mean? Deuteronomy 24.1, you don't have to flip back there, but you can if you want to. We've already read it one time, but Deuteronomy 24.1 said this. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that he, she find no favor in his eyes, here's what, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorce. Let, there's that word, let. Didn't say commanding. You have to. It does not say you have to. It says let them. If you want. Well, watch this. That uncleanness is a sexual uncleanness. It's clarified here in the exception clause that Jesus gives. Look what Jesus says, verse nine. 
And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, comma, except it be for fornication. Jesus is clarifying what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24. Fornication is an umbrella term for any and all sexual sin. How do, how do, I, how do I justify that with the Bible? In Ezekiel chapter 16, God uses the sin of Israel as fornication and adultery interchangeable. It's just a blanket word for all sexual sin. Matter of fact, you might, can, you might follow me here. The root, the word, the Greek word, and I know you don't have to learn Greek to learn your Bible. Listen to me though. But the Greek word for fornication is porneo. Porneo. Y'all know, y'all get where we're coming from. It covers all sexual sin, uncleanness. So here's what we find in this clause issue is there are two biblical grounds for divorce. I have, and again, you can be on whatever side you want to. I'm just going to take what the Bible says. Jesus says here, when there has been unfaithfulness in the marriage. Deuteronomy 24 and Jesus, neither one say it has to happen. Neither one command divorce. Are you listening? Neither one, Jesus nor Moses, say you have to get a divorce. But there's an allowance here. In those cases. And the second reason is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I don't have time this evening to go there. But I want you to go on your own. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 12 through 15 teaches us that when an unbeliever decides to leave a believing partner because of conflict of faith. So here's the situation in 1 Corinthians 7. They, they are married lost. They're both lost married. One gets saved. The Bible says if the unsaved spouse is okay to dwell with that saved spouse, let them dwell. But if that unsaved spouse does not want to stay married to a believer, it says let them leave. That's basically what it says. If that unbelieving spouse does not want to be married to a believer, there's an allowance. Again, does not have to, but there's an allowance for divorce there. Putting away. Now here's, 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 here's the thing. The purpose of divorce is taking them out of bondage in that marriage. It gets them loose of that bondage of marriage. And we can go back and forth here, but that woman at the well. Somebody said, well, God doesn't recognize all them other marriages. Well, he did with her. So how is why, why he changing the script? He ain't changing the script. That woman at the well had four husbands and God himself in the flesh called them all four her husbands. What does that mean? He recognized. Now he didn't say whether they were divorced right. He didn't give us all that detail. But he did recognize all four of them were her husbands. She's had four and the one you're living with ain't, ain't your husband. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says now. I know you can be stricter than the Bible. I, you, you can be more loose than the Bible. But I'm just going to be Bible this and Bible that. Because here's the thing, I might get in trouble with y'all. <laughs> ain't no big deal. I got to stand at judgment seat one day about this. That's a big deal to me. I'm not here to offend. I'm not here to make happy. I'm here to preach the Bible. Now, there's a comparison issue and I'm done. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Why should we take the marriage vows so serious? Ephesians chapter 5. 
you young people that are not married yet, you young people that uh, are, are, are even thinking about that or nowhere near thinking about it, nonetheless, you need to understand why is marriage so serious is because of the comparison. Look at Matthew, or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And it says this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Watch this. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall join unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. What is the comparison between the husband and wife relationship found in these verses? The comparison is Christ and his church. God says here in Ephesians 5 that our marriages are a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. I wonder if that's not why the world thinks so little of the church today. I wonder if it's because we have taken the marriage vows so lightly we have taken the marriage vows so loose today as Christians. I wonder if the world doesn't look on and say, well, if that's the way that husband treats that wife or that wife treats that husband, I wonder how Jesus treats his church. I just think there's a, co I think there's a correlation there between our taking seriously those marriage vows. And not even, not even just the divorce rate. But the way you treat your spouse, the world sees all that. And you, sir, are a picture of how Jesus treats her, his church, supposed to be. And, and ma'am, you are a picture of how the church treats, his, treats, her, treats her Savior. I wonder if we're making that look good or not. I just wonder if, I'm, if I, the way I treat my wife, in public makes Jesus look good. I wonder the way she treats me in public makes the church look good. That's pretty heavy. Pretty big responsibility, isn't it? So there's the comparison here. That's why we hold a high view of marriage at the White Grace Baptist Church. Listen, when a marriage splits up, it is breaking the earthly, the, it is breaking the clearest earthly picture of the gospel we have available. There is no more clear picture of the gospel on earth than the marriage between a woman and a man. 
Now Christ will never, thank God, he will never divorce his bride. He will never put away his bride. Why? Because he offers continual forgiveness and restoration. I believe that ought to be our goal. Can't always happen, but I think that ought to be the goal. I'll say this. Because of this high view of marriage that the Bible reveals to you and I. And I hope you understand I have tried to give you what the Bible says tonight. I've not given you my opinion. There, and I see in this Bible there are very serious ramifications of remarriage. Then, then here's, here's where we stand as a church. As a church, we are not recommending divorce. And as a church, we're not going to get involved with remarriages. Here's what I mean by that. Now, some of you are in those cases, and that's not what I don't mean that somebody's divorced, remarried, can't be a member here, can't be involved here, can't serve. That's not what I mean. But we're not going to get involved in helping that process. I'm not going to get involved as the preacher. And our church is not going to get involved as promoting those things. Does that make sense to y'all? Because the Bible is very clear about it. We're not going to cast nobody aside. There is nobody that is second. There's no such thing as a second-rate Christian. There's no such thing as somebody uh, that's because they've been divorced or remarried. They're anything less of anybody. It's not about that. It's not about that. We as a church can just cannot get involved in those type things. Why? Because God has put a high standard. Now I'll say this. God has also put a high standard as a whole, a message for another day. God's also put a high standard for the pastor and this pulpit. And the pulpit ministry, the pulpit ministry. Every church has got to follow the scriptures. Every church has got to follow their own conscience. But, but what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches this pulpit and the pulpit ministry out of this church must be held by men who are, who are qualified in more, just, in more than just their marriage, but we're preaching on marriage right now, they must be qualified in their marriage, the pulpit ministry. Now, we can, you can fuss and fight women about pastor or evangelist or whatever, but there's only a set of qualifications for preachers, and it's for preachers. It's for, it's for pulpit ministry. And so we hold that high standard here in this church. Now, understand this tonight. We have to strive to be fully gracious to those who have been through this tragedy. We've got to be gracious, fully gracious. But we must hold a high standard and not trivialize the sacredness of marriage vows. I've had many young people get upset with me and their families because they have come to me about doing a wedding. And I said, I will not. Not even because they were being, you know, they were divorced and remarried. Just because I had no confidence in that union. I had no confidence that those young people were spiritual enough. to. And I'm not saying everybody's, I'm not talking about perfection at all. I, if, you, if you get that from what I just said, you've gotten in the wrong spirit. Spiritual to make that kind of big decision and my name be put on the on the license. That's a serious thing. That's why I do very little weddings. That's a serious thing. 
And so, there must be a full grace, but there must be a high standard. Listen, there is forgiveness and there is restoration in the blood of Christ for all sin. Every single one of them. Amen? Thank God for that. So what we have to do tonight, what we have to do tonight, is just like we did last Sunday night, praying that God will protect our homes and our marriages from adultery, we must God, ask God to protect us from this. What, what, we must ask God to protect these young people from this. That they see the seriousness of the marriage vow. Of being, and then, of course, we could go on and talk about this, but the seriousness of there's some things that only happen after marriage. We're going to, Lord willing, deal with that next, next time. About purity. This is what the Bible says. I could be a lot stricter. I could be a lot looser, more loose. I just want to be down the line what the Bible says. I want this church to stand what the Bible says. This is not to hurt anybody. It's not to make anybody happy. This is just preaching a Bible message. What I'd like to do tonight, Brother Tim, you want you to come play softly. I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray that God would protect every marriage in our church. There's some that are not here tonight. Some that are not here because of traveling. Some have other things going on tonight. And that, that's fine. But we need to pray for their marriage as well. Because here I'm going to tell you what. You know, how, you know how Satan wants to get in our church. You know how he wants to? He wants to get in. Somebody say, Satan wants to get in through the youth group. And he wants to get in through the music program. He wants, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell you how Satan wants to get in. He wants to get in through your marriage. That's how he wants to get in. He wants to get in by getting in your home. Getting husband and wife at each other. Satan hates Christ. He hates the church because Christ loves the church so much. And if the greatest picture of the Christ and his church is the marriage, so guess where Satan's going to attack first? And has he not done that over and over and over and over again in, in, in good churches? Mr. Brother Stephen Bell walking out of here this morning when he said those words to me with tears in his eyes he said to me preacher, pastor you've got something special here there's something special about this church but here's the next word I don't know if I shared this word here's the next. he said you better protect it that's what he said to him with tears in his eyes he said you better protect it you better protect it and I thought to myself the very first thought was I can't in my mind, in my heart, I thought, well, I, can't, I don't have that kind of strength. I don't have that power. God's going to have to protect this. But it, you know what? I, it just resonated. He didn't know. He didn't know what I was preaching tonight. But I thought, you know what? If, if, God, if, if the devil wants to mess up this church, what God's got going around here, and what God has got planned for this place, I, I, I just see so much more for this place, and I have such a great vision for this place but I'm telling you how he's going to try to destroy it is through the marriages that are sitting right before me right now so would you pray for your marriage and then would you please pray for mine and my wife's marriage our marriage because I'll tell you what if he can't get in to y'all's he'll try to get in mine and hers he'll try to put a wedge between us he'll try to put some some things between our marriage. And I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. A good wife. I'd say it if she's out here. If she's behind. If, she's, if she can't hear me or not. I don't care if she can hear me or not. I am so thankful for the bride God gave me. I'm thankful for 
what she does for my, me and my children. I think what she does for the Lord and serving the Lord and the servant heart that she has. But I'm telling you what, God liked to destroy the, 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 our marriage. Because I say God, the devil, the devil wants to destroy our marriage. Because the devil knows this. If he destroys the preacher and his wife's marriage, well, he could destroy this church. How many sexual sins have pastors or pastor's wife got into it that ruined the church? Put a moral on the church. Sometimes for years, sometimes those churches never recover. There's churches today that have never recovered because a pastor messed up in sin or his wife messed up in sin. And man, they've all, they, it, just, it hurt the whole church. One of my best friends in the world has sat with me many times and, and doubted his salvation. Here's, what he's, here's why he's doubted. He said, I just, I'm just wondering if I'm saved. And I said, why? He said, well, that, that preacher that preached to me, that preacher that led me to the Lord, he ran off with that woman. I've had to say, Andrew, that preacher didn't save you. But listen, that's what kind of damage that stuff does. That's what kind of damage it does. So, so pray for your marriage. Pray for mine and my wife's marriage. But watch this. Everybody in this room, all these young people, whether they're young adults, if they're in their teenagers, or, or if they're in their early, if they're kids, let's pray for their marriage. You know, my wife prays for our three children every day, multiple times a day. She prays it. I hear her pray it. At least at night, I hear her pray it. God, Save, of course, we, we thank God for the professions Nolan and Maggie made. Save Oliver at a young age. She'll say this, God, save their spouse at a young age and let them marry right the first time. Let them marry right the first time. And that's what I'd like to see out of this young group before me tonight. And our young people that are not here tonight, that's what I'd like to see. So let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. I've been long tonight, but I hope, hope this has been some help. Let's pray. Maybe gathered around with your spouse tonight if you want to. Maybe in your pew there with your spouse. Would you pray? Would you pray? 